Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the small stories with great effect, the ones that are presented for us here by Luke in this passage. And again, as we always do, when we come together as your people, and we hear your word proclaimed, we ask you to continue the good work that you've started in us. Change us, Lord. Mold us more and more into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. The title for today's sermon comes from uh, the third verse of a hymn that we will sing. It's the closing hymn. Don't turn there right now. Uh, you'll get there in just a few minutes. But it comes from the third verse of that hymn, and I have highlighted this verse for us before. I've highlighted it because, frankly, it's one of my favorite little verses that is found in hymns. And I, I still remember the first time that I sang this hymn, a little bit of an odd melody, but, uh, but in any case, I sang this hymn and saw that verse, and it just stuck with me. And the verse goes like this, content to fill a little space if thou be glorified. A little space. And this morning, I have, I have a, I mean, it's a complex, but I want to say it's simply task for us to consider. I want us to consider making a little space and filling that space well. I want us to be challenged to make a little space in our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ to come in to abide with us, to dwell with us, to minister in us and through us, to make a little space in our lives so that we can express gospel goodness to the people who are around us. So that's our, that's our orienting principle for today, making space. In the first place, Luke has made space in Acts for these two vignettes that we've just read, uh, the one of the healing of the paralytic and then the raising of Tabitha. And I think it is worth asking, why? Why does he take the time to show us these two events at this particular time? Why do we need a reintroduction to Peter? I mean, in terms of the, the literature, it's not too long since we've been reading about Peter. So why here do we have to know more about what Peter has done? We already know that Peter has performed miracles. That's nothing new. We've seen him doing that before. And so it's worth asking, why does Luke want to include that for us here? We have to remember in trying to answer that question that Luke is writing both the gospel and Acts to Theophilus. And periodically we have to come back to this to remind ourselves that his desire, his goal in writing to Theophilus is to give Theophilus certainty about the things that he has believed, the things that he's heard. He has provided for Theophilus and for the church as a whole an ordered account of what Jesus did while he was on earth, the Gospel of Luke, and what Jesus has done, risen and exalted and seated now at the right hand of God. And, 
And, you know, sometimes you wonder, okay, is this the Acts of the Apostles? Well, it is both, but as we said, even as we began our study of the book of Acts, this is really what Jesus is doing in building his church through the Apostles, and that's really clear even in the way that Peter goes about this healing, right, where, where he says, the Lord Jesus has healed you. And so he recognizes that he is but the instrument of what Jesus is doing in this world. So Luke wants Theophilus to have certainty about these things, and I think that gives us then two reasons why these particular events, why Luke would take space in his gospel to record for us these two particular things that are before us. The first is this. We are preparing here for the third great step in the progress and the advance of the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 10 is going to be monumental. We've highlighted this. So Acts 1, 8 kind of provides the structure for the book of Acts. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Acts 10 begins the story of this gospel going out to the uttermost parts of the earth, and in particular to Gentiles, to those who are non-Jews. And as each of these steps has been taken, Luke has been careful to use a certain formula to introduce us to each one of them. There's a, there's a pattern that goes on with each one of these stages, and one of the components of that pattern is that he takes time to introduce us to the main characters who are going to take this next step of the gospel. He's already done that with Paul and with Barnabas, and now he's going to continue and bring Peter back into this picture because Peter is significant in what is taking place. And what is taking place is so radical and so unbelievable to the average person that Luke feels the need to reauthenticate Peter as a communicator of the truth of God. That Jews from different places should come into the gospel was remarkable. That was a great thing. That Samaritans should come in and be partakers of the gospel was an amazing thing, whether you were a Hellenist or were whether, you, whether you were one of the Jews who lived in and around Jerusalem yourself, one of the Hebrews. But the fact that the Gentiles would come in and be partakers of this good news together with the Jews, well, that's almost unbelievable. And it's so unbelievable. I mean, you and I are used to it, right? So th this doesn't sound shocking to us. It sounds natural to us because we're the benefactors of this. But to them, it was so shocking that it needed to be proven. It needed to be authenticated. And that's exactly what takes place here in recording these two stories for us. So, I had us read uh, the story of Elijah and the raising that Elijah accomplished. And the pattern that is set there is that Elijah heals and Elijah raises the dead. And what happens after that is Elisha does exactly the same thing. Two prophets in the Old Testament, Elisha does almost exactly the same miracles that Elijah had done. And in doing exactly those same things, not only, of course, he shows the power of God, 
He shows the hope of God to restore the shalom, the wholeness, the wellness of mankind through redemption. But in addition to that, he's authenticating both Elijah and then Elisha as his messengers, as the man of God. And, and, and at the end of that passage that Tommy read for us a little bit ago from 1 Kings, now I know that you are the man of God. And if we looked at, if we took time to read the Elisha stories, we would see that same thing. That as a result of these things, it becomes clear that Elisha, like Elijah, was the man of God. Peter is doing two miracles, or recorded as doing two miracles here. One is restoring a paralytic. The second is raising someone who is dead. Almost the exact same words are used to describe what Jesus had done. Okay, so the reason that we had that word of assurance that we had this morning, you recognize, I trust, where that word of assurance came from. That's the story of Jesus healing the paralytic, the one who was lowered through the roof by his friends. And Jesus restores him. Let's take up your bed. Take it up and walk now. And you get exactly the same sense of this passage here. It's, it's a replication of exactly what took place in the ministry of Jesus. And then also, with the resurrection of the dead, it's another replication of exactly the same thing that Jesus did. In fact, assuming for a moment that both Jesus and Peter were speaking Aramaic when they raised up these people who were dead, Jesus says, Talitha kumi, and Peter says, Tabitha kumi, which is to both of them, their names and then arise. And, and you can't read this and go, well, that's just an accident. It happens to be what they said. No, in, in, instead, it's, it's much more than that. It's Luke trying to illustrate for us that these things which are done establish the credentials. Just as Elisha followed Elijah and was the man of God, now Peter follows his Lord Jesus, although the Lord Jesus is the source of the healing and the resurrection itself. He makes that very clear. He is authenticated for us once again as the man of God, the one who speaks the word of the Lord and people believe because of it. I will not give you an exam at the end of this sermon series on the structure of Acts. So you can sit there and say, well, okay, thank you very much, preacher. It's really helpful in my life this week to know that the structure of Acts is based upon uh, what happened with Elijah and Elisha and then with Jesus and Peter. What does that do for us? Well, what I, you often see me or hear me in preaching trying to make these connections, and the reason that I'm trying to do that is because not only is the certainty that Luke is seeking to bring to Theophilus found in the details of the things that are being said, but the certainty that he is seeking to provide comes also in the way that he says it and in the structure that he uses. As more of those connections are made, as a reader reads through this and goes, wait a minute, I've, I've heard this before. Where have I seen this pattern before? And puts those things together, the reader goes, aha, God is at work. God is at work providing his imprimatur upon this servant to give this message. 
And as those things get put together, as those dots get connected throughout Scripture, what happens is certainty grows in our lives. Assurance grows in our lives. So as much as we may look at the details and say the details are significant, and they are, the story in and of itself, how it is presented is part of the way that Luke is trying to assure his friend, part of the way that he's trying to assure us as well in our life of faith. And it's part of the way that Luke is saying, get ready for what comes next. If I've made space to re-authenticate Peter, who really needs no re-authentication, then watch what's going to happen next. Prepare yourselves for that. That's reason number one why Luke takes the space, makes a little space in the book of Acts for this. But secondly, and this is equally significant for Luke, lest Luke lose us in the forest of spiritual giants, of men like Peter and Paul and Barnabas and Philip and Stephen. So lest we be reading his book and think, wow, it's God that great has these incredible heroes of the faith. Lest we get lost in that, or lest Luke loses us in these significant epical steps of the gospel, and that's what's happening. We're getting ready to make a huge step. Luke always comes back to, he always stops and shows us the substance of gospel life being exercised by little people in little spaces. It is the inspired brilliance of Luke to want to communicate on a grand scale this amazing thing that God is doing and saying, and by the way, let me show you some details of that, who exactly it was, where they were. It makes it verifiable. It makes it real to us, and it makes it personal when we see these people who we don't know anything more about them. You know, we don't, we don't know that Aeneas or that Tabitha went on to do something else that would explain, you know, why you include them here in this particular section of Scripture. But Luke uses people, little people in little places, and he does it throughout the gospel as well. He always highlights these particular people whom others might be tempted to overlook to show us, ah, this is what God does. In the real world, in the regular world, amongst the little people, this is how God works. So Luke carves out space for this story. And Peter, likewise, carves out space for Jesus to work through him. Peter's primary call is to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is apparently in this text visiting churches, visiting believers around Jerusalem. And he's stopping to see how they are in their faith, to teach them the Word of God. His calling is as an apostle, as a leader in the church. And if we look back at Acts chapter 6, we see that that is expressed specifically by the apostle saying that we have to devote ourselves to the ministry of the Word and prayer. Some other people are going to have to step in in Acts chapter 6 and help with the distribution of food. 
because this is the primary calling that we have. And we need, the church needs Peter to be exactly that. We need him to do what he has been called to do. But Peter is not above compassion. No one is. Peter makes space in his time, in his life, in his work, to visit believers and to show mercy to those who are sick, those who are hurting, and of course, in this case, one who has died and many who are grieving around that one. It takes time to show the mercy of Christ. Just like Elisha, Elijah, and Jesus did. They had huge things to do, huge missions to accomplish, and yet they took time to be compassionate towards individual people. None of them, not even Jesus, took care of everyone. All of them took care of someone. None of us can take care of everyone. But in the little space that God has given to us, we can take care of some. We can provide this compassion to some who are in our family, but beyond our family. Jesus, through Peter, heals this paralytic, raises Tabitha. You and I are uh, not so gifted and called to be healing and raising people from the dead, but instead we are called to the never-ending, at least never-ending until our Lord returns, ministry of compassion to those who are hurting, to be the visible, tangible expression of the love of Jesus in this world, to put flesh on the idea of mercy. We can't do everything. We must do something. Make a meal, a phone call, a letter to someone, a visit, watch their children, pray with someone, sit with someone. How are you called to show mercy to people in this world without minimizing for a moment the centrality, the importance of the preached word, both in the book of Acts and in all of the scriptures and in our life as a church. I want to say that it is these small acts of compassion in little spaces by God's people that God uses to change the world, that God uses to draw people to himself, to provide shape and form and substance to mercy. So Luke made a point to record it, and Peter made space to do it in his life. And then uh, Dorcas, or Tabitha, also makes space. What an incredible description we have of this woman. She was, in the first place, a disciple. 
She was a follower of Jesus. She was a learner, looking to walk in the footsteps of her Lord and Savior. And then we have this description for us in verse 36. She was full of good works and acts of charity. She was what we should be. She did what you should do. The call to do exactly this resounds throughout our scriptures. I put, our, I put my bulletin away. Sorry, I want to read that verse that's on the front of your bulletin from Titus. Paul, writing to Titus, a pastor in the church, what kind of things are you to instruct the people to do? The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Paul gives the same advice over and over again. What are you to instruct the people of God to do if you're a pastor, whether you're Titus or Timothy? You're to say to the people of God, do good works. And that's exactly what Tabitha did. What did it look like as she did her particular good works? Well, we've got the description of what it looked like in her case in verse uh, 39. All the widows stood beside him, stood beside Peter, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. That was her act of service. And I I can't read this passage. I cannot read this passage and not think of my grandmother who did this kind of stuff. I mean, it was a different age. It was a different era. But for nursing homes and for hospitals, my my grandmother spent time knitting and making the caps for the babies who would be born and the blankets for babies who were in the hospital. I can't help it. I have to think of her when I read through this. Now, obviously, the point is not that we should all be tailors. Praise God that Tabitha was, and that was her gift and the skill that she had developed and was able to do that. Great. Glad for her to do that. No one wants something that I would make. But what this ought to do for us is fire our imagination That's what she did, assuming assuming we can assume that this was something she was good at. It should fire our imaginations in terms of how we can serve other people. What are the things that we can do? What are the things that we have to offer and to give to someone someone else? Generosity of this sort ought to characterize us as a people of God. If Tabitha's epitaph read this way, she was a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ who did good deeds and acts of charity. What would yours read? If you got a line in Scripture, that's what Tabitha gets. She gets a line that describes her. What would yours read? What would you want it to read? She made space for others 
and they're right there witnessing to Peter about the space that she made. And she filled the space that she made with the things that she made. And then she gave them away. You know what happens when you give things away? You make space. You make more space. And that's what she did. There's one other space maker in uh, this passage. We can maybe read over it quickly, but I don't want to. It is in verse 43. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, the tanner. A dirty, stinky profession. Just kind of getting the hides of the animals together and uh, preparing them to be usable leather for whatever. Uh, a Pharisee certainly wouldn't want, have wanted to stay with a tanner, but a fisherman doesn't mind a little bit of dirt and grime and smell. And so Peter stays with this Simon. Simon showed him hospitality. He opened up his home to the man of God. I would love to be a fly on the wall and just see what that looked like. We've only got this little description of it. And where can I stay? And Simon somehow rushes to the front of that line and says, you're, you're, you're coming to my house. Today and tonight and however long you want to stay there, you are coming to my place. Now that may seem like a small thing to us until we remember how Jesus and Luke have emphasized for us hospitality as a way of revealing how one is responding to Jesus and the message of Jesus. Do you invite the messengers into your home? It's a critical way of indicating where your heart is before the Lord, this ability to show hospitality, to create space in your home. Paul wrote to his friend Philemon, and he said to his friend, Brother, I know you, and you have refreshed the hearts of many a saint who has been in your house. Brother, prepare a room for me. Get a place ready for me to stay because I need my heart to be refreshed by you as well. The people of God share. They share their homes. They share their compassion, their time. They share their spiritual gifts, but they also share their talents and their wealth. Now, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not that we are saved by such things. They're not the basis of our salvation. Jesus gave up all that we might have life through him, the forgiveness of sins by faith in him. But these good works that we are called to do are the evidence of that faith. They are the manifestation of the goodness of the gospel in our lives. They are a way that we, as the people of God, adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ and testify to the reality of it. They are a way that we show to the world love and care of Jesus Christ to the glory of the triune God. Is there space in your life for gospel goodness? 
for the expression of these things? Are you filling the space that you have with gospel goodness? Sometimes when we make space for something, it's a fairly easy thing to do. So you've got to put some boxes up in the attic, and in order to put the boxes up in the attic, you've got to move a few things around, shift them about a little bit so that you can make space for something. It's easy, it's easy to do that relatively. Other times, making space is a much more radical process. So you might need to tear out a wall to make space. You need, might need to dig out a new foundation and add something to your house in order to make space. Or if you're working outside and you want to plant a new garden, you may, may have to rip some things out in order to make space. Make space. Make way for the king to stay with you, to live through you. Make a little space in your life and fill it with compassion, with tenderness, with service, with good works, and with acts of charity done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And do them to your neighbor, to your brothers and sisters who are in this room. And may the Lord do what he did in response to these things. Now, these were signs and these were miracles. Ours will be of a smaller nature and yet blessed of the Lord. They turned people to Christ. They turned people to belief in the gospel. So may we honor the Lord and see others come to know him through our acts of kindness and charity done for them as well. Let's pray.